following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Well, tonight I'm going to share with you the message I was supposed to share this morning. I kind of switched in order. And uh, the title of the message is Transforming Servanthood. Transforming Servanthood. And, you know, uh, first night I talked about transforming doubt, that we actually in this faith journey could bring our doubts to God. Uh, as long as these doubts are seeking doubts and we're honest, uh, the Lord does not fear our doubts. Uh, and that He actually desires uh, to encounter us even in the midst of our doubts. And in fact, you know, as I share with you, I love that statement in the Gospel where the Father says, I believe, I mean, I really believe, I really want to live for you but help my unbelief. And you know, a lot of times I think that is our faith statement. Lord, I believe, I really believe, but honestly help my unbelief. And then I talked to you this morning about transforming community that you know, I'm praying that ICC and GCC, Grace Covenant Church in Philadelphia, would really develop a biblical community uh, that will be honest with one another. And you know, it takes constant work uh, because it's easy to come to church and put on that Facebook face uh, and so we need to keep working on honesty. Uh, we need to ask God for accountability. Uh, and when we fail that accountability, we need to rebound and continue in that way because the more you use it, uh, the more effective it is. And then I talked to you about victory. And my three definition, at least biblically, is that there are victory to freedom and praise God. Maybe some of you feel that even at this retreat. Victory to enduring, continue fighting, and then victory to struggle and you Go from struggle to endurance to freedom. And sometimes you feel like you're just at the place of struggle. But today I want to talk about, tonight I want to talk about transforming servanthood. And we start at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. It says, uh, it says, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, making the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Uh, I think this is kind of a theological statement to what Jesus says in the Gospel, uh, and that is in Mark chapter 10, verse uh, 45. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Again, uh, the mission, one of the ways that Jesus stated His mission statement, He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's kind of, uh, I have a funny story for you. I was having some stomach problem. I was going over there to, and then in the middle of it, I didn't know, no, I didn't know anyone wasn't behind me, so I just kind of let it out. And then there was a, one of the moms here. <laughs> I'm like, I look back and she's like smiling at me. And then she uh, tried to comfort me by saying, I do that too in public. 
but I think she was lying to me. So, uh, yeah, I'm very humbled here right now as I <laughs> preach in front of that mom. Okay. Uh, all right, let me uh, pray and we'll go into this message. Lord, <laughs> Lord uh, we thank you for this example and we pray that uh, you will stir our hearts. In this world where it seems like might or talent or giftedness is what we need, Father, we pray that we will look at the gospel, we'll look at your example, and Lord, you will change our hearts. And I pray that ICC will be a church that are full of people like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And in Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, we see this whole theological development that Paul talks about how Jesus was equal to God, but he humbled himself and he became a servant, right? First of all, as the son of God, he actually was pleasing his father, serving his father, but he actually went below that and he actually became one of us and he served his creation. In fact, he served his creation to the point of death on the cross. Uh, you know, he died for us. And, you know, I think most of us sitting here understand this, that he served us, his creation, and he became humble and broken uh, unto death on the cross. And then in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus clearly states uh, this statement. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, uh, before I started my church uh, 20 years ago, uh, and planted the church. You read a lot of church, uh, you know, books of how to plant a church, how to do a successful American church, and you start reading a lot. And throughout the years, not only did I read that, you know, the, 20 years ago, but I read and ask myself, how can, you know, in American terminology, how can we be a successful church? And if you read a lot of church planning or church growth or church these things, uh, you know, you start getting some formulas of how to make a successful church. And actually, I don't think it's wrong, but there are formulas like what a successful church needs is a clear vision. You know, you need a clear vision statement. Exactly where you're going, how you're going to get there. You need a clear value statement. And a lot of times, you know, they sit around thinking through how to make it slick and how to make it really refined so that people will understand the vision. Everybody can say the vision. Everybody, even the little children, will know the vision of this church. And you know, I think it's true that having a clear vision, for example, our church, uh, you know, what's our vision? Yeah, uh, our vision uh, at GCC is to raise up kingdom workers who are transformed by Christ to influence the world, all right? Kingdom workers who are transformed by Christ to influence the world, and it's great, but, you know, bottom line, church vision is only one, and that is the Great Commission. We're to make disciples for Jesus Christ and to go to all nations. Go and make disciples, right? Teaching them everything that is written in, in, in the uh, scripture. If that, our vision don't align to that vision, then we don't have a vision. But it's good. Some of us are really good and, you know, now the whole business worlds are inside the church and I don't think it's wrong, but I think it could be overemphasized that you need that slick vision, you know, so that, and values to get that successful church. Some say, yeah, vision is great, but you need more than vision. What you need is, you need teamwork. You need this right 
you know, people to come together, the, the praise leader, the worship leader, the small group leader, the women's pastor, they all come together and they work together, children's pastor. And when you get that perfect team, that team will work together and bring about a successful church. So you need to actually staff your weakness, you know. If you're somebody who's a visionary, you need to staff, you know, pastoral types. If you're a pastoral type, you need to staff a visionary type and he'll take over your church and he'll become the lead pastor, okay. Uh, anyway, you have to staff, you know, uh, your weakness. And, you know, when you read it, you're like, yeah, I have to staff. I mean, if I want to be a multi-ethnic church, I have to bring a multi-ethnic staff. And, you know, get all these thoughts. And I think they're valuable. But really, is that going to, you know, is that going to bring a successful church? I, you know, I think it's valuable. I think it, it has a lot of merit. Some say it's, it's not just the team, but it's the talent and the giftedness. I mean, you want musicians to play music, all right? I was in a Christian band as I share with you with Dr. Steve, I was musically challenged, okay? Uh, when I was interviewing for this band, first of all, that whole band was musically challenged, okay? Uh, <laughs> it was in the 80s, and we were not good, okay? We were just not good, right? We were singing, like, kumbaya songs, you know, songs that all you have to do is play three chords with same rhythm. Anyway, uh, and I remember I'm interviewing for that uh, band, and they, they asked me, you know, do you play guitar? No, first, actually, the first question was, do you play any musical instrument? I said, no. And then they went down each musical instrument. I'm like, why are you doing this? <laughs> the first one said it all. You know, do you play any musical instrument? No. Do you play drums? No. Do you play violin? No. Do you play guitar? No. You know why? I'm trying, but I'm not good at it. Do you play? Then, then they literally looked at me, and it was a real, like a serious interview. I don't know why they made this thing so serious. Uh, it, it was a bunch of youth pastors from the Chicago area, They're, and some of their wives are looking at me after they humbled me to remind me that I am musically, I mean, they even asked me, do you sing? I go, no. <laughs> All right? And they looked at me, then they go, what are you going to do in the band? And I said, I'll carry the boxes. I'll set up. And they said, okay, you're in the band. <laughs> I was not musically talented at all. In fact, if you ask Steve, well, what happened was, actually, I ended up being a worship like, leader. Like, I would stand up there and, with the guitar and, and actually like, sing. And then you know what they would do is, after I say, let's sing that again, they would turn my mic off. <laughs> Literally, they would turn my mic off. One time, I mean, even Steve got into it. He, one time, we, were, you know, we used to record our sessions, live session, and he goes, Young, I want you to listen to this. And I'm like, why? Just, just listen. And so he puts on the tape, right? And so what it is, back yonder, way back, we used to sing the song, like, if you want to be great in God's kingdom. Actually, I can kind of sing a little better now, right? <laughs> Learn to be the servant. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and, you know, what we did was we'd start at D and then go to the E chord and F chord, and, you know, we'd just kind of, like, get everybody going higher. So I'm, I'm the lead guys. They had my mic on, and he goes, just listen to yourself. While I, I sang D, I was on D while everybody went to F. <laughs> I don't know how I did that. <laughs> you know, and uh, I don't know why I'm talking about this, actually. Uh, other than you want talented people, musicians who play music, you know, greeters who are naturally friendly. You know, like, hello, welcome to ICC. You know, instead of people that are like, welcome. <laughs> you know, and say, that's, that's what you need. You need talent. You need this teamwork organization. You need this talent. And you need this, you know, when you look in the Bible, I think those sprinkles of those things are there. God did give us a vision. You know, he said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That was a vision. 
Go make disciples of all nations. You know, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a vision, yes. Teamwork does work. Romans chapter 16. Paul talks about all these names showing the, the team of gospel that he had. Talent. Yes, God has gifted us supernatural gifts, natural gifts to use. All these things are great. But you know what? Sometimes, I don't know if you feel this way, sometimes you feel like, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm a visionary person. I don't feel like I'm that great of a teammate. I don't know if I have all that talent. But I want to tell you, I think a powerful church is more than that, more than all this. I think there's one thing that we can do together, and that is what Jesus said he came to do. You may not be gifted. You may be shy. All right? You may be an introvert. And it's really tough for you to mingle. You may not be able to sing. You may not be able to preach. But there's a gift that we can release, and that is what Jesus says. He says, I came, what? To serve. Right? Not to be served, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom. I was equal to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but I humbled myself, and I actually humbled myself beyond the Trinity, and He actually humbled Himself and became our servant. And if that heart of servanthood is released in a church, it is a powerful thing. Every one of us in this room can serve in some ways. Every one of us in this room could help somebody. And we can come to a church asking, you know, how can I serve somebody? How can I bless somebody? How can I serve the Lord? And when there is that servant's heart that is released in the church, and each member is thinking, you know what, how can I serve somebody? I want to tell you, that church will get organized. That church will become powerful. You know, there's an interesting uh, passage in John chapter 13 in the gospel about Jesus, you know, uh, you know, washing the feet of the disciples. And if you've been in the church world, you know this. Uh, what happens is they're about to have their Passover meal. This is, you know, day before he was going to go on the cross. And they go into this house. And, you know, back in those days, they wore sandals and they were walking around and dirt, uh, you know, paths, so their foot would get all dirty, and basically when you, uh, before you ate, you would wash your feet and your hands, because when they ate, they actually literally, you know, it wasn't on a table, as probably a lot of you know, uh, it was actually inclining this way, and you kind of exposed your foot, you would put your foot, you know, away from one another, but it, it, actually your foot was exposed, so you would, you know, clean your feet as before you eat, and usually the, the person who cleaned the foot was the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servant. You know, the guy who just got hired. Or the guy that everybody says, you're at the low pecking order, right? And that's the guy who had to wash somebody's feet. I mean, let's be honest. Nobody likes washing feet, somebody's feet here, do you? If you do, you're interesting, <laughs> okay? Uh, and so what happens in John chapter 13 is that, you know, Jesus and his disciples, they're going to eat the Last Supper, and nobody was washing anybody's feet, right? And, you know, I, I always say, like, among the 12, you know, I can tell they knew that their foot was not washed. This was not appropriate. But, you know, in my mind, and you can ask them in heaven, they're, they're t asking themselves, you know, who's going to wash whose feet? And I think in Peter's mind, he's going like, I'm the rock. I wash no feet. You know, I, I'm like the pillar guy. I don't wash people's feet. Maybe Matthew was thinking, you know, I'm, I used to be a tax collector. I never washed my, I had so many I had so much money, I had 10 guys wash my feet, each toe, you know. And then maybe they're all looking at, 
you know, Bartholomew. Who's Bartholomew? They're all looking at him. He's a shy guy, Bartholomew. He's always kind of at the corner. That's my imagination. He might have been a rough guy, but in my mind, he's a shy guy. They're like, oh, look, Bartholomew, who are you? You wash our feet. You know, they're all kind of thinking that way. And you guys know what happens. Jesus sees this. I mean, they're here. They're disciples of Christ. Three years, they've, they've seen Jesus live out his mission. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. I had high power. I was the God Almighty. I humbled myself, you know, and I didn't just use my talent. He had incredible talent. I didn't just use my power. He had incredible power. I was powerful. I was talented. I was gifted. But you know how I showed myself? I served. And Jesus did that. And here, in the last days, uh, before he, he's about to go to the cross, he sees the mind of his disciples, and all of them are in this room going, who's going to serve me? Who's going to watch over me? Who's going to wash my feet? You know what? I, I'm not going to go that low. I mean, I could maybe serve the food, but I'm not going to serve somebody's feet. But Jesus knows this. Takes out, off his outer garment, puts on a towel, and he starts washing their feet. Now, I think most of us understand this if you're in the church. This was like, this was like breaking the norm. This was countercultural. This was illegal. Right? The master does not wash the feet of the disciples. It's like, it's almost like, you know, something's wrong here. And so Jesus starts washing their feet. And you guys know the story in John chapter 13. He gets to Peter, and Peter, of course, says, No, you cannot wash my feet. This is wrong. And then Jesus says, no, you know what? If I can't wash your feet, you don't belong to me. He goes, oh, then wash my whole body. <laughs> I'm sure Jesus is going, oh, gosh. How is he ever going to be a pillar, Lord? Father, uh, come on. What, what, what is this Holy Spirit? You need, you need to fill this man up, okay? And, and then Peter, Jesus says, no, you're, you're all clean. You know, uh, I just need to wash your feet. And he washed all, all their feet and, you know, all 12 of them. Even what? Even the one who is going to betray him. And I'm sure you, if you've been in the church where you heard this statement in verse 14, after he washes all their feet, after he shows, you know, uh, uh, Paul theologically demonstrates this heart of a servant, after Jesus himself declared one of the calling examples that I want to show you is that I came not to be served, but to serve, he lives it out. This is his testimony. He lives it out, and he finishes washing all 12 feet. All right, that means 12 feet. That's 10 times 12. That's a lot of toes. Amen? A lot of toes. I can't multiply right now. Right? After he finishes, you know what he says in verse 14? This is what I would say if I washed these disciples' feet. Now, I washed your feet. You guys are so messed up. For three years, I served. You're so messed up. Now, you, you, all three of you, I mean, all 12 of you, you wash my toes right now. You guys, so you wash my foot right now. Right? Just like I wash. I mean, he doesn't say that, right? He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, I, your teacher, your Lord, has washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. This is powerful. Okay? Because sometimes, I'm going to try to be honest. Well, I am. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I wash other people's feet. 
so they can wash my feet later. You know, I serve so they can serve me back. It's, it's, a, it's a mixed motive. But Jesus, he serves, and he doesn't say, you guys are so messy, you serve me now. He says, no, guys, remember what I said? I came not to be served, but to serve. Now I washed your feet. I did this. So what? You can serve one another. You can release the gospel power of servanthood. And the only way that servanthood come alive in the church is by God's grace. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's an upward climb to really live out the gospel as a servant. You know, in the modern day church, I think this is so lacking. I think even in the modern day church, especially in America, and you know, I'm just, you know, I'm ethnically Korean, so I can kind of blast the Korean church. You know, uh, I think many times in the modern day American church, and especially the Korean it's like some kind of like leaders supposed to be served on. But leaders are to serve like Jesus Christ. Serve others. And I, I think, not just leaders, I think in the 21st century, this is going to be a battle. Are we really going to live out this calling, this transforming calling? People come to your church and they look like, man, these guys are servants. They're serving one another, you know? You know, like imagine if you're here, you've been only here like a year, right? And, you know, newcomers come and you're like, hey, how are you doing? Welcome to ICC. You know, what's going on? You're serving just by saying hi. You know, that's very important. Saying hi and being friendly to people. And they say that within eight minutes of the church, people decide if they're going to come back again. If they come back a second time, there's like a high percentage they will come back. And one of the ways that they kind of get attracted is people saying hi. And that's a way you can serve. Imagine if you're a newcomer, but you, you serve any church. You're going, hey, hi, welcome to ICC. And they think like, oh, oh, you've been here for a long time? No, just three months, you know? Anyway, you're always thinking about serving. But I think actually it's a battle in this idea of serving. And uh, I'm going to give you my thought of the triple threat. I could have done many other ways, but these are the top three threats that I see in my church. And so I'm going to give you my triple threat of how I think that Servanthood is being attacked in our modern culture. Number one, threat is consumerism. I don't know about you, but I think in Philadelphia, no, forget, I'll just say it to you. I think all of you have consumer mentality. You know, and, and as a consumer, you know, what it is is you know consumer are king. We're king. If Amazon does not deliver, we want our money back. All right? If Verizon doesn't work, we're going to go to, uh, you know, uh, AT&T, right? When, when I step into a dining, and especially if I'm paying a lot of money, I want the service to be done well. And we have this mentality, you know, I want it now, I want it immediately, I want it, my, uh, my life fulfilled. And we have this servant, I mean, uh, a consumer mentality, and what we ask ourselves, even when we come to church is, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of here? How is it going to make me feel? Am I going to like it? Is the music for me? Now, let's, let's tell the truth. We all go to church, if, especially if you're checking it out or you're in it. You ask, like, you know, there's a side. We have to, you know, be edified. 
But there is a gap because we're so consumer trained that we skip this gap. And it's not trying to figure out, Lord, am I going to grow here? Am I going to be challenged here? Lord, you know, am I going to be able to serve here? It's a whole gap where we're asking, you know what, what's in it from? Does the music fit me? You know, what, what am I going to get out of it? And it gets, church gets to be about me. You know, and on Facebook, there was this parody that was uh, being floating around. I don't know if you guys ever saw this. It's like these two couple goes to a new city, and they're trying to find a church, and they, they hire someone like a realtor. And this realtor goes around churches, and they, they like, go around. It's, it was kind of funny, actually, right? Uh, where they go around and check out the church, and they sit on the seat. And, oh, this seat is, like, uncomfortable. I don't think I'm going to go to this church, you know? And then they, they go to another church, and then, then the music goes on for, like, 35 minutes. Oh, I can only handle 20 Point two minutes of worship. 35 minutes is a little too long. And then they go to another church and they're like, oh, this, the seat is comfortable. The music is just fine. Uh, like, uh, I hope they have multiple services because sometimes I like to go to church at 125. You know, I'm, I'm kind of parodying the parody. That's not how exactly it went. Uh, but, you know, and then they're like, and then finally they find that perfect church. And they go, oh, yeah, this is a church for me because they have the soft seat. They only go worship for like 22 minutes, and they have three options. So I can go in either in the morning or in the afternoon, or if I'm really tired, I'll sleep in Sunday and come at night. I don't know about you, but I see this at Philadelphia. People come in, and it's all about them. How can I consume? You know, what can I get? If truth be told, we come to church and we're trying to figure out, you know, it's, it's about me. How, how am I going to feel today through this church? I don't know how many of us really come to church and go, is there somebody I can bless? I had a hard week. I really had a hard week. As I'm driving, I got into a fight with all my kids and my wife. But how can I bless somebody? How can I serve somebody? Do you know that when you enter into a church and you ask God for heart of serving, you start seeing people's faces differently when you enter a church and you're thinking about and very easy i don't know if you're guilty of this when you think about and you it's what's you know what about me is the sermon going to be i better be edified you know and all this stuff then you see no one but yourself but if you prepare and you go god i have this struggle with consumerism lord i want to be a blessing and you look out on sunday man you start Honestly, when you start looking to God and you look to other people, people's faces reveal so much. You're like, wow, sister, can I pray for you? How did you know? Written all over their face. Brother, did you have a rough week? How did you know? Written all over their face. There are a few guys, it's kind of hard. I had this one guy that came to my church, literally, for a few months, no, a couple months, he looked like he hated my message. Just sat right there going like this. <laughs> and when I cracked the, the best joke, literally he went like this. <laughs> I was like, this guy is going to leave my church, all right? I ended up having one-on-one, and, I, and I, you know, I'm like, hey, so how do you, what do you think about this church? And this guy's like this. It's one of the best church I've been, Pastor Young. You are a funny guy. So I have to adjust, you know, I'm like, okay, he looks angry, but he's happy, you know, and sometimes you can't figure that out, all right? But most people, if you come to serve, 
Wow, body language, faith, you see a whole, whole new world. Second, and this is more for those of us who have served, that we battle, and that is entitlement. I don't know if you've served hard at a church sometime in your life. High school, man, I served my youth group hard. I used to do so much for that youth group. I ended up being a president. I served college. Man, I busted my butt in college. I served the college ministry. I literally, like, literally, I was like, doing college ministry was like another class. You know, I remember Dr. Steve, myself, even Betty, and some of us, we were like, literally, like, sometimes I don't know if I went to school or I went to church. All right? My wife, all my, I, I remember Steve and my wife were on this band doing crazy ministry. They're studying, you know, with a flashlight for their exams. Because we're coming back from some campus outside and we're coming, they're studying. And somewhere as you served, I don't know if it happens to you, but it does happen even to me. And that is you go, you know what? I'm entitled to something. I'm entitled. And if this entitlement gets big, it's not about entitled where, you know, God is going to give us the reward. Our ultimate, we know this, our ultimate reward is not what we get just here, but our ultimate reward is Jesus. Somewhere we say, I'm entitled. You know what? I served hard. And I should be thanked. And I'm not saying don't be thanked. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, you're, you, you know, there aren't rewards on earth. But somewhere down the light, we feel like God needs to pay us for our sacrifice. You know, it's amazing. You can see that in young people, but as we get older, we're very good at <laughs> just kind of shading this thing. It's kind of like this. I, I see this all the time. There, there are guys, and it, it does get into a place of crisis where they're serving and serving, and they're like 35, and they're not married. And it's always a struggle. I have, like, always great sisters who are 35. One is, like, 40, and they're not married and I see some who go through it, and they, it's, it's a hard, but they say, you know what, it's about Jesus, and I don't know what, what's going on, but this is going to, and then I see others who's kind of, who starts thinking like this. Very easy to do this, so if you struggle with this, I'm just, they go, you know what, I serve so hard. How come I'm getting nothing? I'm not married yet. I don't have the kids yet. I can't post Facebook posts like this other people. You know, I served really hard. Where's my benefit? You know, where's the size of my church? Where's the size of, you know, the peace on earth? You know, sometimes I feel like we serve, and then what we want is the, the, the American dream candy-coated with Christianity. I don't know if you struggle with this, but I think a lot of times people stop serving that they used to serve hard because they feel like God's not paying them enough. And people are not acknowledging them enough. And they say, you know what? I'm not serving no more. You know who the hardest people to restart serving? Are the guys who really used to serve. Because they know how it costs. And they know. They, they've been there where they've served and they gave and gave and gave. And people take and take and take. Give and give. There's endless. It is endless. You want to do ministry? I, I sound so discouraging here. You want to serve other people? You have to die. And receive from the Lord. Freely you give. And freely you receive. Because when you do ministry, 
I mean, there's guys who get rewards, you know, I don't know, it seems like they get married, they got the perfect kids, they got the perfect house, they have the perfect size church, you know, their, their wife is perfect, you know, their kids are perfect, like, oh, they get all, no, you do ministry, it's like, I don't understand, God, you know, seek the kingdom of God first, and all these things are added to you, children problem, family problem, Lord, is this what, you know, you're like, what is going on, I'm not saying it's that, always that bad, but somewhere in there, you're going to battle entitlement. You know, I, I, I think it's a serious battle. I've seen many hard, and this hard, humble, working servants of God, somewhere in this serving, switches over to entitlement, and suddenly we find them going, you know what, I'm burnt out. God's not rewarding me enough now. I don't know if you struggle with this. That's the number, second threat that I see. The third, it's kind of like all these are kind of similar, and it really actually comes from this, and that is selfishness. I don't know what you think about yourself, but I'll just acknowledge to you, I am a very selfish dude. <laughs> I know it. My kids know it. My wife knows it. You know, uh, but I, I kind of like always kind of turn it. I go, hon, if we run out of food, there's the last meal. I think I should eat it. She's like, you're so selfish. I go, no, no, it's because I should eat it so I can go hunt and get more food, you know? You know? And I, I have like all these ingenious ways of flipping it around. But, you know, I, I know that I could, because I'm, you know, I'm a feeler. Like, I, I could so much get into, it's about my pain. It's about my hurt. It's about my feelings. You know, it's about me. The world revolves around me, you know? And I'm going to tell you right now, these are triple threats that, most of us face sooner or later consumerism, selfishness, entitlement. And I think it's ruining the church. There are people that come in and it's really, really about not God. It's about us. In fact, what's scary with this triple threat is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, Paul describes the last days. And he's saying, you know, in the last days before Jesus comes, this kind of characteristic is going to increase and more and more of it will happen. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such People. He says, as the last days increases, he says, there will be people who will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. This is the culture we live in. I know I'm being very uh, gloomy here. And this is the culture we're headed towards. The whole millennial. Do you guys have, yeah. I was going to say, do you guys have millennial? You may be a millennial, right? It's like, we're so in, just infatuated with us and, you know, uh, the perfect life. And it's about us and get it fast, get it quick. Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure. And it's going to ever increase. This is countercultural to the calling we have. And that is, Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my uh, life as a ransom for many. In fact, I would kind of tell you that it's even more than just finding this grace to go into a community like this and say, Lord, I want to serve you, receive from you, and I want to serve others. 
It's not just serving. It's serving with biblical joy. In, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It, the Bible says, and the Hebrew writer says, that when Jesus was dying on the cross, even though he knew that the Father would forsake him, even though he came to serve and not to be served, even his creation, and there was much pain and sorrow, he was a man of pain and sorrow, it says somewhere in his heart, he still had joy. The joy set before him. That his entitlement was, God, I get to serve you, Father. That's my greatest reward. That I could please my Father. Yeah, people said Hosanna and threw out, you know, the Hosanna palm tree leaves. Yeah, people said, wow, what a miracle worker. But my joy is I can serve you. I can serve those who are lost. And they can be found. There was a joy in his heart. Now, I don't know about you. Serving is hard. Serving with joy. Oh, Lord, I need grace. But, you know, I, I don't know about you. I always say, like, it's tough when you meet a sour-faced servant. You ever met sour-faced servants? Like, you can go to an amazing restaurant. Like, me and my wife, uh, we finally narrow it down that as we go into our anniversary, maybe the next one, the 25th, is going to be special. But after, like, the 19th one, you're like, honey, like, I just, uh, I don't know what to, you know, I don't know what to buy. I am the worst, like, gift giver. Uh, when we first got married, uh, and it was, like, our first, uh, no, when we were dating, you know, engaged, our, it was our first uh, Valentine's. And uh, I didn't know what to get her. And I had this great idea. I go, you know, you always get, like, the roses. I go, I'm just going to get her a flower pot. So I bought her this flower pot. And I didn't know flowers had meaning. I brought her the flower pot. I go, happy Valentine. She looked at the flower. She goes, young, do you know this is the type of flower pot you bring when someone is dying at the hospital? <laughs> I said, flowers have meaning? She goes, yes. I go, oh, man. You know, ever since that, it's been like that all the time. I, I don't know why I'm talking about this, all right? Uh, and, 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 you know, but you know, we decided we're just going to go to a nice Philly restaurant and blow, you know, just, you know, some, you know, a little bit of, cash and be you know just enjoy and i've gone to some good restaurant after a while i'm like i'd rather eat at like i don't know why it just popped into my in and out uh i don't i don't live in california but i like in and out uh anyway so what happens is if you go to this restaurant and uh you go to a fancy one and you get like a bad waitress in philadelphia they're not nice <laughs> literally this waitress and waiters i don't know they got kind of like a weird new york rub off you know it's like even, you know, sometimes you're, you know, like, oh, can I have more water? You want more water? And they kind of do that to you. You know, and like, oh, yeah, excuse me, uh, please. And they just kind of give you, you know, a look, you know. Uh, I went to California like a while back, and I was at this kind of like a, like a Denny's type, and they were so friendly, you freaked me out. Like, do you want my water? No. Come back. Is there anything I can do for you? Yeah, leave me alone. You know, you're too friendly, all right? I mean, you can go to a great restaurant, but if you get stuck with a bad waiter or waitress, you feel like the meal stunk. You're like, what was that? Like, I didn't get water. You know, I, it, they scared me, right? Or you can go to like Burger King. And in my days, they used to say, have it your way. 
at Burger King. Have it your way. You don't want pickles? You don't have to have pickles. You know, at, at McDonald's, they use the same Big Mac form. We can take away the pickles. We can put lettuce in. And if you don't want the sesame, we'll pick it out. Have it your way. Right? If you ever go to a restaurant and they give it your way, you're like, this is only a $5 hamburger, but oh, it tastes like $20. All right? Some of us serve, and I know it's hard. It's like there's not joy. Like something, it's like duty. And sometimes you've got to serve as a duty. But it's like you're serving because you're being paid. I don't know. You know, and I'm not saying, like, I'm not one of these super smilers, you know. I mean, I've gotten a lot more friendly because of the training of my wife. But, uh, you know, I, I, uh, sometimes uh, I look like I'm going to kill my congregation members, you know, especially after I preach. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I had this new welcomers meeting one time, and I literally felt like one of the welcomers didn't come back because they just looked at me and go like, this guy's not friendly, and they left, okay? And I struggle with this, but, you know, I want to receive grace so that I can serve with the joy of the Lord. This is supernatural. This is not natural. Because this kind of heart that Jesus said that he had, that he showed, that he wants us to have, after he washed the disciples' feet, says, wash one another, this is not just for a little while. This is until we see him to show the world that we can actually serve one another when we're going through a hard time, when there's difficulties in our life. This can, and, it's, and when you manufacture it, you can do it for a while, but it breaks down. It's that intimate relationship with the Lord and, and that grace from God receiving, receiving. Lord, I, I'm so drained, but Lord, freely I give because freely I'll receive from you. Lord, I need you. I need you. Every hour I need you. I share this testimony all the time. When I was in a, a seminary, uh, I, you know, when I went to seminary, I was pumped up. I'm like pumped up. I mean, I was like super passionate, you know, you think I'm excited right now because I got more sleep than you, amen? I mean, back then, I was like, literally, like, if I, like, I get louder, scream, I could stay up all night and stuff, and I had this youth group, and, and this youth group was not going well. It was just like, I was preaching my heart out, you know, and these kids were not listening to me. There was this one girl who would come in, and literally, before I started a message, she'd go to sleep, and there's these junior high kids, they were passing notes, you know, while I'm preaching, and you can see that they're passing notes. I can see you, right? I can see who's sleeping, or who's, like, looking around, and this girl's passing notes, and they don't think I see, and, you know, I was one of those guys, like, man, if it's not going well, I'm going to fast. So one day, I, you know, one time I said, you know what, before Sunday, I'm going to fast two days. And this was not starvation. You know, sometimes you fast, you're just starving yourself, right? And you're like thinking about food. This was good. You ever have one of those powerful fasts? You're like, spirit is there. And like, I feel this fasting power. And I, you know, I, even the sermon prep was good. And I just felt, I mean, I, you know, it might probably have been subject. I felt this power in me. And I go up there, I go, this, this message is going to change their life. So I go up there. I fasted, prepared for hours in fasting this message. Right about to preach, that girl is sleeping. <laughs> Those junior high kids are passing notes. And my, 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 all my energy went... Whoosh. And literally, I remember my first year as the head of this youth group. Because I thought I was going to be hot stuff. <laughs> Sounds so corny me saying that, but yeah. I thought I was going to be the new dude, you know. 
I remember driving home, seeing the faces of my youth kids. Oh, oh, they're not listening. And I remember thinking, I'm quitting. They're not responding. I'm fasting. I'm praying like crazy. They're not responding. And so at this seminary uh, that I had, there was this old gentleman, uh, you know, Reverend Conan, who used to teach this devotional class. And you make students make appointments with them. And he would, back when, you know, uh, when I was in seminary, he was already like 80-something. He had white hair. And he walked really slow. Like, literally, he walked like this. And you make this appointment, 30-minute appointment, and I made an appointment. I'm waiting for him. It's so funny. It's like literally like a comedy. I see him coming down the hall. I'm sitting at the table, and he's like walking. It's taking him like at least 15 minutes to get to me. I'm waiting. And, you know, I was like a, I was like a passionate 20-some-year-old. I'm like, get here! Hurry up! And he's like, sits down, and then I just let him, I just go, Pastor, Reverend, Reverend, uh, you know, Conan, I have these youth kids, I fasted, and I'm, I'm doing my best, I'm working so hard, I think I really love them, they're not listening to me, I'm thinking about becoming a dentist, because I'm going to quit, I, no one's listening to me, I'm going on, I'm going on, and as I'm like, just like, and you know, I used to speak even faster and louder, you know, I'm talking to him, this old, wise, gray-haired gentleman is mumbling to himself, on the other side, he's going, I stop. I, like in my mind, I'm like, oh, I think he's going, and I'm like, what is going on with this guy? And then he says, Brother Young, I am interceding for you right now. So keep sharing. So then I, I went slower. I said, there's this girl named Susan, and she broke my heart. She's a junior high. She used to really be in love with the Lord. Now she's passing notes. And there's this guy named Sam. He said he was really going to live for the Lord, but I know that he's doing drugs now and he's in my youth group. And I'm like waiting for him to pray. And he's praying. Sam. So I'm like waiting. It's only 30 minutes, but it took a long time. And then afterwards, you know, after I share everything, he's like, he says, I'll be on his prayer list. And he says this, Brother Young, you're very passionate. I go, yeah. But what you need to do is... Uh, you need to be filled with Jesus. Let Jesus fill you and let him overflow. He got up, he walked away. <laughs> I, I'm not joking, it literally happened like that. He says, you know, you need to be filled with Jesus and let him overflow. He got up and he walked away. And I remember it was like, you know, back then when Star Wars was kind of cool, I go, overflow, force, overflow. What? In the beginning I was like, that's cool. I go, what does that mean? And I think what he was telling me was serving is supernatural. You may have the talent. You may have the passion. You may have the youth. But you want to serve people? You better have Jesus. And that intimacy with God needs to overflow. And out of the overflow, ministry happens. You may go like, wow, I'm not that spiritual. Like, I, I, do, I, I don't know. I want to tell you, this is the power of servanthood, right? Even the little things that you can do, just by stop being consumer-oriented, entitlement-oriented, you know, selfish, because I am selfish, you are selfish. If we could say, God, as you came down and you were a servant, God, give me the overflow of that heart. It's so hard. I'm selfish. I'm a consumer. But give me that over as you do that. I'm going to tell you, even little things that you may do, a high, 
Uh, hey, is there a prayer request? And when they share, you really pray for them. A reminder email. Hey, you know, uh, it looked like you were really tired this Sunday. You know, is there a way that I can support you in prayer? Little things can do far more than you think. All right? Again, you might have heard this story if you've ever heard me before. Because, you know, I, I only have the same stories. Amen? Uh, and that is, you know, when we were doing our campus ministry, there was uh, this one Ph.D. candidate. He was married, uh, and he did not have much time. Uh, and he comes over to me, and he says, Pastor Young, I have always served a church. Wherever I go, I try to serve. You know, like something. I want to welcome people. I, I always like to serve. But this next couple of years, I'm going to be so busy. But can you, you know, uh, find a place that I can serve? I, I, I'm willing to do anything. He was, you know, I ran a, a real college, uh, college ministry back then. Now we have a lot of older people, but it was all college students. And, and I was thinking about it, and I knew who he was, and he was a really good guy. And so, like, in my mind, I'm thinking as I'm praying, I go, how can this guy serve? And what popped into my mind was, campus ministry, you need van drivers. you got to pick up those kids so they don't walk five blocks. And you bring them over, you know, and then they'll come in, you know, droves, all right? Well, actually, our campus ministry reached like 25 minutes to this uh, all-girls school called Bryn Mawr, and you would have to pick up this girls from Bryn Mawr. And I went over to him and I said, hey, uh, you know, brother, uh, you know, I know you, you actually served as a deacon and you were an elder candidate at this other church, but uh, can you be our van driver? And he said, what days? Well, we need Friday night pickup and Sunday. He said, you know, I can do it every Sunday. But Fridays, I'm kind of busy, so I'll try to do as many Fridays as possible. And I said, okay. I'm telling you, that solved a lot of problems, okay? Because I would send, like, a junior out there, and these junior guys, they're like, sorry to say it, college, and they were punks. You know, they're, like, always, like, breaking too hard, driving the girls crazy, you know? Always, like, you know, girls are going, it's so cold. They're like, they're blasting the air conditioning more and stuff like that. So I send this guy off, and what happened? I wasn't even thinking it. That year, when he was a van driver... Brimmar exploded. Like, it went from, like, about max for a while, like 10 girls to, like, 25 girls started coming to our church. And actually, we had to send a van and a car, right? And for a while, it was like, oh, these Brimmar girls are coming. I'm like, oh, I must be getting more sensitive with my messages, you know? I must be able to relate with the ladies or something. You know, I'm thinking that. And then, as the year went, I found out where the revival happened. What happened? This brother, as he drove the van... And the girl said, it's too cold. He would load the, you know, he would uh, make the air conditioning so that the, it would fit the sisters, not him. And when the girl said, oh gosh, I'm being nauseous, he would break more gently. Right? And then here's the two things that brought the ultimate revival. One day in the winter, this girl had a sniffle. And the guy pulled out a Kleenex box. And it, it was, uh, you know, one of those Kleenex with aloe vera. I'm not joking. The girl was like, I heard these stories. The girls were uh, it's Oliveira. <laughs> and this, I, literally, this is what, they were blessed before they came to hear the sermon. That's what they were talking about that whole year. The van ride for 30 minutes. This one killed all the ladies. What happened was, if you know a church van, you know, one of those like 15 passengers, a lot of them, you step down a full step. This guy, one day, as they're about to step, he goes, wait a minute, and he brought a step stool. So the girls don't have to do this. They could just go, oh, oh. You know, take that like, extra small step. It was like, God loves me. 
And I'm telling you, all these women, all these girls, that's all they, they're like, the guy brought a step stool so we don't have to take a full step down. And they're all like, oh my gosh, I, he's married. Oh no, you know. <laughs> it's like, I'm telling you right now, van driver brought revival. There's stuff that you may think it don't matter. But when you serve with the heart of Jesus, it matters. And you'll be very surprised how these little things could do incredible impact. Instead of going, what is in it for me? We say, what can I do to bless this church with the heart of Jesus? Since I'm in the Chicagoland, Long time ago when Steve and I was in the band, gosh, it's like 30-some, 30, 30, I don't know how many years ago it was now, I actually went back to my home church in the Chicago area. I used to go to a Korean Presbyterian church, KUPC. And uh, we went back to the youth group, and man, it was really weird for me to see... Uh, Intet? Yeah, all right. Because I had him in my... Uh, as I was his uh, Sunday school teacher when he was in second grade. Uh, and... Uh, I love that class. You don't, that was the first ministry I've ever had after I became Christian. And I used to pray for that class like crazy. I, I thought I was going to become a Sunday school teacher forever. I, I tried to share the gospel with that class. Like I, I, in every form, every way, I took them out to ice cream. And I gave them ice cream and says, follow Jesus. And I just, you know, whatever. I was trying to do all this stuff. And... Uh, you know, I went back to my, uh, that, you know, I was in college, I came back, and there was a youth, uh, you know, retreat, and, and uh, they had a new youth pastor, and this guy was a dynamic speaker, and he was a speaker for that youth group, and I get to this retreat, and there was another guy, you know, his age, you know, that, and you can tell, like, from the beginning, he was just out of this retreat, he just looked like he had an attitude, and I'm like, what's going on? I actually even re- remember his name, but I don't want to say it, and I was like, what's wrong with this brother? And, you know, he was out of, I tried to, you know, be, you know, you know, friendly with them, but you can tell, you know, he didn't want to talk to me. Uh, and so the tr- retreat's going on, and this guy, the youth, new youth pastor, his message was dynamic. He was this very good speaker. It seems like kids were getting into it. This is kind of, you know, a year into his ministry. He's like going at it. It seems like kids are getting into it, but I could, because I knew him since he was in second grade. I'm looking at this guy, and he's not into it. And I'm like, whole time, I'm like, I got to figure out, I'm praying for him, praying for him. And and I remember, you know, back then, I don't know why, in the Korean churches, you would, like, get them on the ground, you pray for them, then you'd hit them. Why do we do that? I don't know if you've ever had, been abused like that. You put it, oh, bam, I'm like, I don't know why we did that. You know, anyway, I'm, like, ready to, you know, put them on the ground and pray for them. And so he's on, he's kind of like, I go, get on your knees, and, and I'm praying for him, and I was ready to go, Jesus, bless him. I was about to hit the guy. He takes my hand as I'm laying on it. He removes it. He goes, he says, you know, he was, I, I don't know, he might have been junior high at that time. He's like, uh, I don't want you to pray for me. And a part of me, you know, back then I was like, punk, you know, you know, I got to get this guy, you know, in, in a good way, not bad way, right? You know, Lord, you got to get him and stuff. Anyway, the whole retreat was going, this guy was not into it at all. So finally, the last night, this youth pastor says, oh, he used to be, he was super hyper. He's like, oh, we're going to wash the feet of all the, all the kids. And I'm like, you know, I've seen foot washing at retreats, and sometimes it's so powerful, sometimes it's like not that good, you know. 
It's really dirty and messy. And then when you do it to junior high and high school, it's like, ah, man, you're asking for disaster. And a part of me was like, oh, can we not do it? But this guy wanted to do it. And so we're like, okay. So the band was helping and we're washing feet. And, you know, I'm like, this could go wrong. And he explained the whole, like, Jesus washing feet. And and I want to serve you. And the band wants to serve you. And we're washing. And somehow it was powerful. We're washing these little junior high kids. And some of them are breaking down and crying. And we're washing, and the, the, you know, the, the youth pastor is washing, and we're getting to this brother, and you can see he's kind of like in the dark. We're going towards him. And this guy starts to cry, and he starts backing up. And we're like, me and the youth pastor is going after him, right? <laughs> and he's in the, he hits the wall, and he's like, he says, please, do not wash my feet. And this youth pastor takes his foot, and he starts washing it, and this kid was just weeping. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to use this next time. Like, what's going on here? Like, the, the guy's washing his feet, you, you know, and he's just like, just in tears. This guy's bawling. And I'm like, oh, I'm like I, I don't know what to do. I mean, this, is, this is powerful. And then I found out later that he was really struggling with that youth pastor. Felt like, you know, the guy didn't care. He was just like a dynamic speaker. And, and somehow when he was serving him by washing his feet, his heart broke not through the message not through his passion but through the example of jesus washing this junior high kid's feet jesus said i came to serve not to be served i washed your feet now wash one another's feet i pray i know this church has a great vision knowing dr steve and looking at uh uh, peter I think it's going to be well organized. I think there are gifted people. But I hope that it is fueled by the servanthood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.